Hello, and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and typically my good buddy Dan is here, but he is still in Europe this week. So joining me this week is easily the biggest Spider-Man fan I know. I was thinking, hey, I'm doing a comic book slash movie podcast, and I need a guest host to help me talk about it. And I was like, my good friend Ben needs to come on the show. So Ben, (laughs) welcome to the show. Oh, Dwayne, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. And it is going to be an absolute blast because, as you said, I'm a a little bit of a Spider-Man fan and have been for quite a while now. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm just I'm bursting at the seams to talk to you. This is going to be so much fun. I don't, I, I feel bad that we're not going to be talking about a Spider-Man movie yeah, or a set of comic books this week, but I, I do want to know a little bit about how you got into Spider-Man because like I said, you are quite possibly the biggest Spider-Man fan. And anytime I have any Spider-Man questions or have some cool art to show, <laughs> you're the first person I go to. Well, it, it's funny because I got into Spider-Man when a lot of people were just completely jumping ship and, and just, you know, decrying foul against Marvel. And that is back during the whole clone saga, like back in the nineties. Okay. I, I didn't actually come in during the clone saga itself, but, uh, so the whole thing was, uh, you know, I, I, I walked into a grocery store and there's always like just a rack of comic books. And, you know, I, I never really paid too much mind to it, except this one cover I saw was, Spider-Man, but with the carnage symbiote. And I'm like, okay. Oh, oh what is going on with this? Cause I know he doesn't have that. Cause before that, you know, I had watched like the Fox Spider-Man cartoon. So, you know, I, I'd seen, you know, some of it, I was kind of familiar with it and everything. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is kind of crazy. What's going on here. So I went ahead and bought it. And it was during the time where Ben Riley, you know, Spider-Man's clone was actually, you know, Spider-Man at the time, Peter Parker and Mary Jane had moved to Portland because he had lost his powers and he was like working in a, uh, you know, some sort of science place or whatever. So he had passed the mantle on to Ben Riley, who was the only Spider-Man in New York at the time. Sure. So he had gotten the carnage symbiote because, you know, he, well, it, it attacked him. It bonded with him because, you know, he's like, okay, I have the power, the responsibility, I can control this. So he's, you know, fighting to keep it under control the whole time. And then of course, Peter and Mary Jane, uh, come to visit in New York and like all this crazy stuff is going on with it. And I'm like, this is absolutely insane that he's hanging out to the symbiote. So I'm like, I've Uh got to get the next issue. And from that point on, I found myself buying four Spider-Man books a month and then I started getting into some X-Men comics at the time and it just kind of like totally blew up from Evolved there. from there. Mm. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is because Ben Riley was like technically kind of my first Spider-Man, like I have a huge attachment to him and like the Scarlet Spider and like his Spidey costume is still my favorite. I absolutely love it. Okay. Like the, the big spider costume and the, the web shooters on the outside and all that. And then at the end of the whole clone saga, when uh, he kind of evaporates when he dies. I'm like, oh, that's really a bummer. And then they brought him back. And then 
totally changed his personality and stuff. And I'm just like, there's, they turned him into a villain and then he would reform. Uh, then he's a villain again. And I'm just like, I I'm so bummed with what they've done to his character, but I still love the fact that, you know, he was Ben Riley. He was Spider-Man for a, a good year in the comics and he was just a really great character. So I really enjoyed that. And then kind of fell out of comics um, like a long time after that, when like Mary Jane randomly disappeared in a plane crash, like it was turning so like super soap opera and stuff. I'm just kind of like, okay, okay, I'm done with this for now. And uh, then I'm like, I, I can't do this. And then I got back into it uh, when J. Michael Straczynski brought in the whole idea of the spider totems and animal totems and everything. That's where Moreland came in and the whole like beginning of the spider verse happened with like just the seed of, you know, what if the spider that died was trying to give Peter powers before it died of radiation instead of the radiation giving him the powers. And so that really got me in, back into comics. I'm like, hey, this is great and everything. And then, well, I got broke and wasn't able to get comics for a while. So it fell <laughs> off again. And then Brand New Day happened, and I'm like, okay, I'm totally out of comics now because taking away the the MJ and Peter marriage, like like dissolving that through a deal with the devil, which Peter would never do, and all this stuff. And then the big time storyline by Dan Slott came back, or came out. And that's when it just really clicked again, where I'm like, okay, Dan Slott, it really gets what Spidey's going through, what's going on, and taking him in directions that he'd never really seen before. Like one of the great things about the big time storyline is the fact that Peter is hired onto like a science and tech company because I mean, he is a genius level character in the Marvel universe. Right. So actually, you know, using his science and, and uh, you know, smarts and everything in a job and then things that he's working on, he took like his crime fighting inventions and stuff of, of what he would be doing as Spider-Man and then tweak them and turn them into like products for this company and stuff. And it, it just turned into like a really interesting, like take on Spider-Man where all of a sudden he's successful as opposed to you know, right. being dirt poor all the time. And I mean, it, yes. just, it, it just worked. And then Dan Slott's whole arc going through all that was really interesting. Then spider Island was really great. Then of course Spider-Verse happened and then even more so, um, like the whole superior Spider-Man arc. I mean, it just, yeah, I've been into it ever since I picked it back up from big time. So it's, yeah, I'm, very I'm nice. definitely very much into Spidey again. Very, very cool. So when I asked you to come on the show, we, I said, you know, we can talk about any comic book series or any movie that you want. And I remember one of your first suggestions was the movie Constantine, which is a movie I've never even seen before. Didn't even know it was a comic book movie. <laughs> I'm curious, how did, what made you decide to suggest that film? Well, I mean, you nailed one of the points right there is that like when I first saw it, I had no idea that it was a comic book movie as well until all of a sudden, you know, the opening credits are happening. All of a sudden DC vertigo. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I had no clue whatsoever. But one of the big things is that I think this movie's overlooked a lot because it came out during a time when, you know, superhero movies weren't really big. Comic book movies weren't really big. They were like kind of, you know, hidden that they were based off of comic books. Yeah. Like, like this road to perdition, um, you know, a couple other things that came out in, in this time. It's like, it's a different kind of writing. It's what people aren't expecting when it comes to a comic book film, because again, it's not just, you know, superheroes running around in tights, fighting supervillains and stuff. 
And I thought, you know, this would be a really fun movie to talk to my friend about because I really like it. And if you hadn't seen it before, I just want to be like, watch this. It's different and cool. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The, the character, John Constantine, definitely not your typical (laughs) hero or anti, I guess he's an anti-hero. I think probably, I mean, he's a jerk. (laughs) Just kind of what it comes down to. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the neat things about it and, and the fact that, um, you know, Keanu Reeves actually, you know, does a really good job of playing John Constantine in this. And I mean, and, and first of all, I, I just want to throw out to you, I'm a huge Marvel fan. I, I don't really know mm-hmm. DC comics all that well. So, of course, like I said, going into this, had no idea about this since seeing this. Um, I've, I've read injustice and so, you know, injustice one, two, and then by this time three happened, that's when they start bringing in all these supernatural characters. And then that's when I'm like, Oh, I'm finally reading John Constantine in a comic. So it was like kind of seeing how, you know, it, it still kind of matched up that way and it had the same sort of tone and everything. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Um, but then on top of that, you know, it just having him as a character, having Keanu Reeves of all people playing him. It was just a really neat kind of mix of of actors and actresses and story and everything. And I just thought it's so underrated that it needs to be talked about. Sure. I, I like that. So this week we're leaving behind superheroes and instead delving into the world of angels, demons, and a war for the souls of all mankind. Where there are some that can see what others cannot. And as Ben pointed out, it stars a Hollywood favorite in Keanu Reeves. So join us as we take a look back at 2005's Constantine. But before we do that, we're going to talk briefly about some news in the comics. And the first story I picked out just for you, Ben. Marvel considered reviving a major Spider-Man character with Secret Invasion. So there was a new article that was posted on Marvel.com that talked about the making of the original Secret Invasion comic book run, which ran from April 2008 to December 2008. And we actually read it here a few weeks ago on the on the podcast. And it reveals that that series was originally going to be used to bring back Gwen Stacy following her death decades prior in the Amazing Spider-Man comic book. It was... Really interesting. There's some great information about it. There's Marvel comic president Dan Buckley is 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 uh, quoted in there as saying basically he didn't want to bring back Gwen Stacy. He w- he was against it. He thought that it would be too too uh, jar- jarring. Basically, I think more than anything, and he's and he kind of ended the 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 quote in the article saying when it came to me. And I had the final vote, bring Gwen back, was up by one. Buckley said, my vote created the tie. And then I said, if there's a tie, she doesn't come back. So he had incessance, <laughs> gave himself two votes in order to not in order for it not to happen. And then some people he said were not very pleased with him because he basically gave himself two votes. What do you think about this revelation? And do you think you would have been for or against seeing Gwen Stacy come back? I am always 100% against having Gwen come back. It It's like you can't bring Uncle Ben back. You know, it, it's there, there are these moments and <laughs> I, I, I don't want to uh, quote across the Spider-Verse, the canon events that happened. But right. the thing is, is 
at this point in Peter's life, like there's certain things that have defined him so much that if you were to undo it, it just kind of cheapens that sacrifice that the character had made, you know, whether it's Captain Stacy or Gwen or Ben, you know, any of those people coming back, it just, it, it kind of pollutes the whole storyline, you know? And I mean, they, they brought Gwen back kind of a, a couple times. Like one was the dumbest issue in the world where it was like Norman and Norman Osborne and Gwen, Gwen Stacy's daughter and son were back, which, that's a whole story that's just bad. Never read it. Never read it. Um, But then uh, when uh, Ben Riley was the Jackal, they, they brought a clone of, of Gwen back, but you know, it was a clone and, and she did end up, you know, completely dying and everything. So it it wasn't really her, but you know, she was there and you could, you could tell the present or the, the effect that it had on Peter when, when uh, he interacted with her and everything, but to bring her back fully, because of a scroll event would just cheapen it so much. So, so much. And then you start looking at the logistics of it of, you know, how would the scrolls know that Gwen Stacy was Spider-Man's girlfriend? And, you know, th- then you start kind of picking about little nitpicky details and stuff. And it's like, I understand comics are weird and logic is kind of thrown out the window sometimes, but it's like, yes. all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. He was like a college kid at this point. Why would the scrolls be really paying so much attention to him? You know? Yes. No, I, I think that makes total sense. Let's move on and let's talk about what's new in Marvel Unlimited this week. Hey, the website, it's back working again. That's fantastic. There is 12 new books that are going to be at map added to Marvel Unlimited this week. There's no new number ones though so there are some interesting characters that are having new books that uh are out this week those would include hellcat the new mutants red goblin moon girl and devil dinosaur the punisher she hulk and the amazing spider-man all have new books coming out on marvel unlimited this week so if you're looking for something new maybe one of those will be of interest to you or maybe this recommendation from Ben. Ben, I asked you if you had a recommendation of, of something you'd been reading or something you would highly recommend somebody take a look at. What do you have for us? Well, you know, first I was going to recommend Red Goblin because it's a very interesting concept of, you know, little Normie Osborn gets a symbiote. Weird and kind of crazy. It, it, it's good. But the thing that really stands out to me right now is the new uh Spider-Man that started in 2022, it, it started off with uh, end of the Spider-Verse. Um, so there was about seven issues of that. What I'm recommending, of course, I mean, read those if you like, because, you know, good stuff. But um, starting with issue eight is a new story arc. And it it picks up where the the previous arc left off with a new character, Spider-Boy, which has apparently always been around, but no one remembers and, of course. And the thing is, is he's a 14-year-old hero uh, named Bailey Briggs, who's Spider-Man's sidekick. And he's the only one who, of course, remembers his past and dealing with people and everything. Nobody else remembers him to the point where in uh, one of the issues that's come out, he's just kind of like walked around, like just trying to find anybody who recognizes him or who knows him. And it, it's it's really touching and sad. But I mean... It's a new character, and I am so excited to kind of dig deeper into seeing who this kid is, what's the story behind him, and then on top of that, too, like, if he is, you know, Spider-Man's sidekick, like, you know, the, the Robin to his Batman, like, how did that even become a thing? Which, of course, none of us remember. 
So it's it's pretty neat so far. I'm liking it. I like the the costume is pretty cool. Um, he's you know not advanced enough to have web shooters yet. Uh, his spider sense works differently than Peter's does, and it's it's pretty cool. Like I I'm excited. Uh, you know, with all the spider characters that are out there, I, I pretty much follow all of them. But um, with a new one added to the mix, who is, you know, just a completely different take on everything. It's pretty exciting for me. So Spider-Man number eight in the current run came out May 3rd, 2023. It is not quite available on Marvel Unlimited as of yet. It's only the first seven issues. So this will be something that you can look for potentially releasing uh, in the next couple of weeks, maybe even early August, and you can uh, jump in and, and start reading the comic book from there. Yeah, I like I said, it's pretty cool. I hope if you uh, take a look at it, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. All right, Ben, we're going to jump in and we'll talk about Constantine. Typically, though, we do a spoiler warning. So if you have not seen Constantine before and you do not want a in-depth recap as well as discussion about various aspects of the film, definitely stop the recording now. Go watch the film. It's available on HBO streaming service as well as you can rent it through Prime Video or on, on Apple through their, through their ecosystem as well. So go ahead and watch it. Come back and join us as we talk about Constantine. All right, your film facts for Constantine. The tagline for the film is Hell Wants Him, Heaven Won't Take Him, Earth Needs Him. This movie was released February 18th, 2005. It has a runtime of 121 minutes. And I should note that it's R-rated. So this is the second week in a row we've talked about an R-rated film. Box office worldwide, this movie grossed a little over $230 million. Domestically, it brought in just under $76 million, all of this on a budget of $100 million. It has an IMDb rating of 7.0 out of 10. The movie stars Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf, Jaiman Hansu, Gavin Rosdale, and Tilda Swinton. It is directed by Francis Lawrence, and the screenplay is by Kevin Broadbin and Frank A. Capello. Those are your film facts for the movie Constantine. So next up, we normally do a recap, and I will tell you, I tried to write a recap for this, and it ends up being rather lengthy. So we're going to intermix some, some discussion topics into the recap here. Otherwise, you're going to be listening to me for a very long time. Ben, are you ready to hear a an abbreviated version yes. of the movie Constantine? Be, because as I rewatch this again, I'm like, so much happens. There's no easy way to recap this. No, there is not. No, there is not. The movie opens with a man finding the Spear of Destiny, which is an ancient artifact said to give the wielder the power of God in the ruins of a church in Mexico. Once found, the man appears compelled to travel to Los Angeles. We are then taken to Los Angeles where we meet John Constantine, a chain-smoking cynic who has the ability to see half-angels and half-demons in their true form, who has been called upon to perform an exorcism on a teenage girl. We also meet Chaz Kramer, his apprentice and driver. Once complete, the concerned Constantine asks Father Hennessy to look into demons coming onto the mortal plane, even though they shouldn't be able to. 
After that, it's also revealed that John is dying of an aggressive form of lung cancer. Next, we meet L.A. police detective Angela Dodson, who has just lost her twin sister, Isabel, to an apparent suicide when she was committed to the Ravenscar Hospital. After watching a video of her final moments on the roof, she feels compelled to seek out Constantine to get his help proving she did not kill herself. Initially, Constantine refuses, but after saving her from a swarm of demons, he decides he will assist. He shares that God and Satan have a wager for the souls of all mankind in which they cannot manifest themselves on Earth, but they can have half-breeds that influence humans to do either good or bad. Angela reveals that Isabel could see these half-breeds as well, and that when she was a child, she could as well. She asks Constantine for help to get the ability back, which he does by holding her underwater in a tub until the tub explodes. So we're going to pause right here because a lot has happened to this point. There is a lot of setup. There was a lot of interactions between characters. We got to meet a bunch of characters. But the thing I want to talk about is at this point, we've seen a couple different demons and we've seen half breeds. And these are really amazing looking creatures on the screen. They they are there's a combination of CG and and actually some like puppetry and things that are going on here. There's different ones too. We had this soldier demon that was in the teenage girl. We see this swarm demon that attacks John on the side of the street. What did you think of these demons and the whole idea of half-breeds? Angels, half angels, half demons walking around amongst us on Earth. Well, that's one of the things that I thought was really neat with how they, you know, tied everything in visually into the story. I mean, you see the just the that that first demon with like, you know, the half the head and, you know, it was all spindly and skeletal and everything like it was a horrifying mm-hmm. image. And yes. just seeing that, it's like, oh, my gosh. So, OK, so this is where the art direction is going. And then all of a sudden the swarm demon which is full of my worst fear, which is just bugs and, and yes. all of random stuff. Cockroaches. And there was like a crab and there yeah. was just, yeah, it was, it was really gross. Yeah. And I mean, but uh, on top of that too, the CGI that was used to like, you know, make the movements and the swarm and everything like it held up really well for being something from 2005. Same with the, um, you know, the soldier demon and everything. But, some of the coolest stuff that you see is just the subtle imagery that they put in for the half breeds. Like you see a a half demon in a convenience store who, you know, like tried to rob a guy and you see like the, these glowing eyes. And then the, the, the person who is, uh, uh, you know, like working the store, like reaches down and tries to save him. And you see these, these angelic wings just kind of unfurl behind him. And Mm -hmm. it is done so well. And so like realistically that it fits in this like kind of gritty version of LA and like all of it just, just visually is just so pleasing in like a kind of gross, um, <laughs> yeah. v- visceral no, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you have like this visceral reaction when you see these these images mm-hmm. on the screen, and and I think so. Stan, Stan Winston Studios is kind of the uh, art team that was behind a lot of the images for the demons and stuff. They did 
not only the like the soldier demons and that there was these seplavite demons and these were these flying creatures that the the flying creatures were the ones that were going to attack and kill angela dodson and constantine ends up saving her and then that's when he decides to help and and so they're flying around and we see we see some of these demons also in the in the versions of hell because he goes he goes to hell to find out whether or not Isabel actually committed suicide or mm-hmm. not. And he comes back and says, no, she did commit suicide, but somebody kind of nudged her in that direction. And so it, it is, it's really something because you look at these, they look lifelike. They're, they're moving, they're walking around. And I think the thing that I that is most interesting is we have kind of this idea, I think, of what a demon should look like. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of imagery, a lot of actually medieval era imagery <laughs> of demons that I think just sort of tends to be how everybody thinks of demons. And they did not rely on that. You talked about the fact that these demons had kind of like half heads and and that. And they look, because they don't look like you would expect demons to look like, I think it actually gives them more reality yes almost it gives them gives them a kind of scarier feel to them almost as well yeah exactly it's not like taking a caricature of something that you saw from like you know a 16th century uh painting or something you know like you know just red cloven hooves and horns and everything and it it turns into something that just it's twisted and disturbing and it it really like kind of you know gets it's the, nightmare it, fuel. Yeah, exactly. It gets it's it's uh, nails just under your skin just enough so that uh-huh. y- you get that reaction. So specifically for those flying demons, they actually created a fully articulate puppet with a radio controlled face, jaw mechanics. And cable controlled fingers because you actually see some of those like up close and personal yes. at, at one point. And then what this the, it took six puppeteers to actually control these things when they were shooting it. And then they would go and layer the CG on top of that to then fully make the, them come to life. And I and I think that combination we've seen just relying on CG it feels like which is what a lot of things tend to happen now. Some of that stuff can look kind of wonky, mm-hmm. but if you have this combination of like some real life modeling or puppetry going on and then add a layer of CG on top of it for it looks so much better. It looks so much more realistic. It doesn't have that same sort of almost goofy look to it. Exactly. As long as the actors are like interacting with something that's actually there and just kind of touching up a CG or, or, you know, accenting certain things or maybe adding a thing or two here or there, it, it really helps sell it as something real and lifelike and, and, and all over the place. And it's such a good job. And especially in the scene. Cause it's, I mean, yeah. all the lights are out. It's all based off of like flame that Constantine's shooting out and then yeah. having the light reflect off like correctly off of them as well as the characters. And it, it's done just masterfully. So you mentioned the angelic wings. We see the wings on Gabriel a couple times during this movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a shopkeeper that who has their wings that extend. And it was interesting because it's not the white 
angelic wings that we think about, but they're actually very dark bird wings. And, and for that, again, they used this mechanical wing on the actor themselves, and then they added a layer of CG on top of it. And every time you'd see these wings spread out, they looked just beautiful. And and it doesn't matter if they were white or black or dark color. And I think it actually works a little bit better again with that sort of gritty horror yes. vibe that 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 this whole movie has. If they had these brilliantly white wings, it would they would look out, out of place. But you see these dark bird looking wings, and they just look so real. Yeah, it also adds to the fact that subtly reminds you that it's a half breed as well. So, you know, yes. it's not full angel. So you can't have like, you know, the, the robes and the halos and the, the, the super bright white wings and everything. You know, these are beings who are living on earth and sure they're there for good, but they're still living in the grime in the dirt and everything that's going on. So, you know, having them being a more realistic cover or color, you know, with like maybe bits of dirt and, and grime and stuff kind of mixed in with them really sold it so much more than like a pure white wing would. Agreed. So one thing I didn't realize that I ended up figuring out after reading an article about this movie was there were shots where they were talking, where they showed close-ups of of people, and you saw their eyes glowing. Mm-hmm. And I remember there being a lot of eyes glowing red, but there, uh, but there was actually some yellow eyes as well. And so there's a there's a spot early on where Constantine goes to a a nightclub, and you see all the patrons, and they all have glowing eyes and most of them are red but there are a couple that are yellow some significance to that the red-eyed people are half-breed demons and the yellow-eyed people are half-breed angels and i totally did not pick that up the first time i watched this film yeah the, the color shift is really really like tight you can't really, you know, unless you are looking for it, you don't really notice. You just see the reflection of the the light in the eyes. So, you know, mm-hmm. half braid. But, you know, like I honestly didn't realize it until I was looking over the notes. Like oh, some of those were the, OK, well, yeah, totally makes sense that they would have different colors. But, yeah, I never really right. clocked it in that scene before. Yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those things that now it's like I probably would want to see this again and and at least those scenes mm-hmm. to be able to see oh hey this person and there is I mean you can see some pictures some stills from that scene where there's each color on two different people in the in the same shot so it's it's quite something that's awesome all right should we move on further through the recap yeah probably should because I mean again. A lot happens. Yes, there there is a lot, and and it only gets kind of more frenetic and a lot more going on as as we progress deeper into this film. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, with the help of Father Hennessy and his gadget slash information guy Demon, Constantine eventually finds out the demons are working for Maman, Satan's son, who wishes to create his own kingdom on Earth. Constantine seeks out the half-demon Balthazar, who revealed that Monmon has obtained the Spear of Destiny, which has the blood of Jesus Christ encrusted on it. Angela is kidnapped to be used as a portal for Monmon's entrance to Earth. 
Constantine storms Papa Midnight's club, and after a brief scuttle, Midnight allows Constantine access to the chair. Mm -hmm. An old electric chair from Sing Sing Prison that has killed over 200 people. It grants Constantine visions which show him that the spear was discovered in Mexico and that it is already in L.A. Constantine and Chaz go to Isabel's hospital, where Monmon is conducting a ritual to rise in Angela's body. After exercising numerous half-breed demons, the pair interrupts the ritual and attempts to exercise Monmon from Angela, which ends up costing Chaz his life by some unseen entity. We don't know who or what caused it, basically threw him to the ceiling and then to the floor. Constantine uses sigils on his arm to reveal the invisible party, which turns out to be the half-angel Gabriel. (gasps) Gabriel resents God's favoritism towards humanity and the forgiveness that he's already given. Gabriel believes that bringing hell to earth, humans can become worthy of God's love through repentance and faith. Gabriel throws Constantine from the room and begins to release Monmon. As Gabriel goes to stab Angela with the spear to release Satan's son, Constantine cuts his wrists. Time stops and Lucifer, who hates Constantine enough to collect his soul personally, arrives. Constantine tells Lucifer about Monmon's plan and Lucifer sends Monmon back to hell to keep Monmon from conquering Earth before him. Gabriel attempts to smite Lucifer, but is relieved of his of its holy powers and is rendered basically completely useless. So this is we're we're now basically in the final moments of this film. We're going to take another little break here because I've been reading a lot. And just then we see one more version of hell when Lucifer sends sends his son back down there. And I have to tell you, the look that they decided to go with for hell in this movie is something else. It is unlike anything I think I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the the uh, the shots of hell that we saw in this film? Well, the, the biggest thing that stands out and the thing that I love the most is that it's not just, oh, we're underground somewhere and there's lava and fire. And, you know, it, again, it's not right. that same like you know, classical depiction. It is this just decrepit, destroyed, broken down world of earth. But, you know, it's the apocalypse is essentially what it is. And I mean, there's demons all over the place. Everywhere you walk, there's the strong wind blowing. Like you could feel the heat coming off of it. And I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. The, 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 the care that went into the, the visuals for this. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So the look has this very kind of brownish orange sort of look to it. Everything has this look and and it it's based on old footage of nuclear blast tests. Specifically, if you think about the sudden shockwave immediately after the blast that disintegrates anything in its path, you just think about what that would do to you know, buildings and and infrastructure and and all this sort of thing. And so you have all this, you have this very hot looking, you know, you 
browns and oranges and yellows and everything. So it, it looks hot. It's almost like it's got kind of that sort of wavy thing when it's really hot mm -hmm. outside during the summertime and you you see kind of the 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 almost like the evaporation just sort of wave a little bit it feels like you had that and then you add in all those demons like we talked about earlier and it just gives it this very realistic but also very intimidating looking place yeah it is someplace where i definitely would not want to spend any amount of time i mean no. Just, and the, the scenes that we see where Constantine's, you know, like walking through and looking around, like when he's searching for Isabel, I mean, he's down there for a while. Cause if you think about it, you're walking around destroyed Armageddon LA, <laughs> you know, it's going right. to take a bit. And then when he finally sees her and, and everything, when her hospital bracelet like flaps off and he goes to jump for it. And then that's when the demons just rush God. and attack and I mean, again, the visual on it is just gorgeous with how it is, you know? Yeah, it, it's a comic book visual, right? You could see that mm -hmm. as I could see that as a full page comic book panel, right? You see, see Constantine in the air grabbing a hold of the of the bracelet while all these demons are kind of, you know, creating this sort of pyramid trying to exactly. grab him underneath of him. Oh my God, the visual on that. It was so great. Yeah. And then with that, when, when Isabel went, went through for, you know, when she was in the bathtub, uh, one of the, the biggest, coolest things that connects their journey to their return is the fact that like smoke is coming off of them or steam or, or something yes. like both of them each time. So like, obviously, you know, like you saw Constantine in there, uh, you know, again, searching for Isabel, you know, visiting, doing everything, but you never actually see Angela's version of it. You, all you see is just the bathtub basically explode. But once the water rushes yeah. out, the steam and, and, and smoke and stuff is coming off of her as well. Just showing yes. like, how long yes. was she down there? What did she experience? And, and well, all that. Yeah. He, and he talked about it, too, because so the reason he has these powers is he attempted to commit suicide when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And he was dead for two minutes, but they were able to bring him back. But he said the time that two minutes felt like a lifetime that he was down there. So you think about all these visits that he that he does in this movie and you're like, oh, my God, he's been down. How long has he been <laughs> yes. down there? Because he's been down there a while. And then when like the water gets poured on him and he's able to come back, as you mentioned, there's steam and stuff just coming off of uh off of him off angela and so yeah they've obviously been down there for some time even though it only feels like a matter of moments it they're probably have been down there a long a lot longer time than that mm -hmm. yeah and gosh it's again any time down there it would just be horrifying but they they painted it in such a way that it, it really gets the point across so two interesting things about this that I do want to bring up. One is I really liked the fact that we saw a glimpse of what hell was going to look like right away at the beginning. We see the Warner Brothers logo right at the start of the film, and then all of a sudden it just sort of breaks off parts of it, and it turns this the burnt orange yellowish uh, you know, brown color. And then we see the Village Roadshow logo pop up in that same look and feel. And it's like, 
oh god what did i get myself into <laughs> here because this is going to be bad and then and then you find out okay that's what that that's what they're referencing but i love the fact that they took the logo the studio logos and used that look to them right away at the beginning to kind of set that tone even before the you know the lights are fully down you mm -hmm. know as they say exactly the other thing that i thought was really interesting is i found a, a reference to in the original script when they were kind of talking about what hell would look like they talked about it being a black void with a floor covered in oil which i think would have done a pretty decent job as well of kind mm -hmm. of depicting that and i think that that's that looks that would look at that potentially could look interesting as well but i, I love the direction they ended up going but I think they also did keep a little bit of that in there because yeah. when we see Lucifer show up at the end and he kind of just sort of floats down and greets John Constantine, the thing I noticed was his feet are oily. There's just this black tar yeah. sort of on his feet. And I'm like, I we don't know why. Or how come he's not wearing shoes? He's got this like suit thing on, and but his feet are exposed, and they're this in this black oily tar thing. And I think that that's it. I think that that this is a nod to that original script choice of having hell basically be this black void with floor covered in oil. You know, I can see that. And I mean, if you've seen Stranger Things, you kind of have seen the a black void with like a, a liquid yeah. ground and stuff. And I mean, to me, that does convey like a lot of hopelessness. So I can see where yeah. if they had gone in that direction, like it would still work. But the thing that I love uh, most about Lucifer's design is the fact that he's wearing a full white suit. Yeah. You know, just totally like goes against the, again, the whole idea of like, oh, just pure pure evil being and, and everything. And then the, the tar and everything that does drip off of his feet. Like it, it just fits. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like you don't question it at all because again, he's this, you know, fallen angel who is just evil and, you know, gooping tar coming out of him and stuff works for it. It adds that extra layer of, Oh, there's something so much more with him than, anyone else that we've seen so far just from a, a, a tiny little detail like that. And I got to say, I was very impressed with that. Super happy to see it. And the fact that like the, you see the tar footprints, like walking, you know, from room to room and everything coming back really worked. And then on top of that too, when I know I'm jumping ahead, just a tiny little bit here, but when he reaches in and pulls out, um, you know, uh, stuff from, from John's lungs and you see that same oily goop kind of in his hands with it and, and everything. And I'm just like that. It's, it's perfect. It ties it together so well. That is just a, a, a horrible, horrible thing. I I'm very happy with that. So one thing I will say, I think one of my favorite parts is actually Peter Stormar who played yes. Lucifer he is not in this film more than about five minutes here at the end of the film. But, and we're going to talk about this again here in a little bit, but the funniest parts of this film are the dialogue between John Constantine and Lucifer. 
they, they just go back and forth for the entire time those two are on screen together and it is fantastic so if for no other reason you should watch it for that that five minutes at the end it is probably worth 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 the time the two hours to to see this film i wholeheartedly agree because it, it is your anti-hero who doesn't give a crap about the world or anything else all only about himself versus pure evil and it just yes. goes so well. Yes. All right, let's finish up the recap here, and then we'll dive into a couple other discussion points. So in return for helping Lucifer, Constantine is owed a favor. But rather than asking for an extension and be restored to life after slitting his, his wrist, he instead asks that Isabel be allowed to go to heaven. Lucifer happily obliges and as he begins to drag Constantine towards hell, heaven appears before him. By sacrificing himself for Isabel, when there was clearly nothing for him to be gained, Constantine has proven himself worthy to enter heaven. Infuriated, Lucifer heals Constantine's wounds and cures him of his lung cancer so that Constantine will have a second chance to prove that he truly is worthy for hell rather than going to heaven. Constantine then goes and retrieves the spear from a now portal, Gabriel, and then departs with Angela, who is now fine now that she is not possessed by Satan's son. The movie ends with Constantine giving the spear to Angela and instructing her to hide it where no one can find it, not even him. That is your recap of the movie Constantine. I, I hope I did it justice, Ben. I think so. I mean, you, you hit the good points. You, you definitely couldn't say everything that happened because, again, so much happens in this movie. In in just a two-hour time frame, you have a lot of moving pieces, and uh, I think you hit the right bits. I have a question, I guess, I want to ask you, Ben, and it is... I, I don't think a lot of people think about this movie, Constantine, when they think about the body of work that Keanu Reeves has done. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, it's got a decent enough rating of 7.0 on IMDb. It's been around for since 2005. So we're coming up on 20 years here, 18 years as of now. But it doesn't seem to be all that popular. I can't, I don't know of a lot of other people that have seen this film. There's not a ton of people who talk about this film. Do you have any thoughts as to why this film isn't more popular? Well, I really think a lot of it has to do with, you know, well, first and foremost, you know, the, the marketing that came out. Because I didn't remember seeing a lot of marketing at the time. But, I mean, this is just my, you know, monkey brain right now trying to remember. So. That right. aside, I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that was coming out comic book wise around this time, like you had the X-Men movies come out before then, uh, before this, the original Spider-Man movie came out before this, um, you know, you're looking again, more superhero stuff if it were marketed as like a comic book movie. So again, I don't think that's the way that they were going for this. Some people might've seen like say devil's advocate, saw Constantine thought, Oh, what's well, another movie about Keanu Reeves with the devil, you know, yeah. I'll kind of miss that not knowing that it's, it's, you know, something entirely different with this. And right. like even more so like anything that they kind of put out for, you know, marketing on it, I don't think it could really sell the movie in such a way that you can hit all the good beats and parts of it 
and kind of really show that it's a, a fantastic, you know, good versus evil story without really giving a whole lot of it away. That That is true. I, I think I would definitely agree with that. It is. How do you how do you boil this down into a two minute trailer or one, one and a half minute trailer that appears before some other movie that would entice people to go see it. I mean, I, I think if you're fan, if you're a fan of Keanu Reeves, I think you definitely, you know, you'd be, have some interest in it there. We're talking about 2005. We're still three years away before Iron Man and the, and kind of the, the start of the MCU. Yeah. And so there were some very decent superhero films some of the some of the spider-man films had done well the x-men films had done pretty well but we also had some really bad movies around this time <laughs> that were superhero films as well yeah uh, i think of the incredible hulk being the ang lee incredible hulk movie would have come out just a little yeah. bit before this and and so it was kind of spotty when it came to comic book movies or co- characters from comic books appearing in movies mm-hmm. that that could definitely do this. So I was looking at some of the critical reviews of this film and and critics didn't really care for this film either. Uh, from everything I can read it, they, they talked about kind of the premise of the film being kind of interesting. They talked about some of the special effects being interesting. They talk about Keanu Reeves doing a, a, a very good job in the role of John Constantine. But by and large, they said they just they thought it got too hokey towards the end. And, and I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because it feels like it started kind of at this level and kind of kept going up in a direction that I would have thought it would go. So I don't think it really got over the top at any one point. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have the 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 Fonz jumping the shark at any <laughs> in any way, shape, or form at, at in this film at all. Yeah, I mean, gosh, if you want to talk hokey, the the only thing that I can even think about would be, you know, the holy water in in the the fire alarm system, but. That's that's like something that's taking a a, you know, centuries old kind of weapon and modernizing it, you know, like if they put it in like a super soaker or something like then I would be like, okay, that's that's a little (laughs) yeah, a little out there. Now now we're talking about, uh, you know, one of the Shaun of the Dead film film or something. Yeah, Yeah, that's going full parody. But like, you know, I really think that it comes down to this doesn't really fit in a genre, you know, it's not, yeah, yeah. It's good versus evil, but it's not like a superhero movie. It's not like a Western. It's not, you know, just some sort of like, um, uh, I don't know, a mobster movie or something along those lines. So because it doesn't really fall in a genre, people didn't really know how to look at it. To your point about what sort of movie is this? I, I, I do agree with you because when I was looking at this on Amazon, they classified it as a horror film and a fantasy film. And I'm like, <laughs> what? That seems a little weird. Like, I guess there's definitely some horror elements to this film. Yeah. The I, I guess the fantasy is the good versus evil part about it. Kind of, yeah. But, like... But both of those sort of feel like a stretch. This this feels like a, a movie that doesn't really have a, a a real clear classic sort of fit mm-hmm. like you're talking about. And so 
they don't necessarily have an audience built in that's going to be like, okay, this is something I need to go see in the theater. Yeah. And the thing is, it it stays away from like kind of a lot of the classic tropes, at least nothing really kind of stood out to me. And in some instances, it just totally veered directly away from those. Like every single time that Angela and Constantine are like right next to each other, like it looks like they're about to kiss never happens. And I mean, Constantine sticks with his character and it doesn't change. And again, that's that's a positive about this movie is that he is who he is through this whole thing. And right. even at the very end when, uh, you know, she says, hey, you know, maybe sometime, maybe. And then she turns away at the end. I mean, it, it, it totally works and fits. And it's like, yeah, you don't really see that a whole lot. You know, like usually studios are going to, you know, push it into a relationship or, or, you know, have the happy ending and things like that. But with this, it's just it's a constant this is the world. This is what we're sticking with. And yeah, we saved the world at the end, but it doesn't change the mission that he's on. Yes. Yes. He, he's not a different person at the end of this film. He's still that sort of a uh, jerk cynic and he's doing the things that he's going to do. Although he does chew gum instead of smoke at the yes. very, very end. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. He does make one change. He, he starts on the nicotine gum. So the the other thing I'll say about critics is I think they were really quick to compare this movie to The Matrix and The Matrix trilogy of films because that had come out in 1999 and we had the two sequels in May and November of 2003. And I definitely, there there are shots and there are things that Keanu Reeves throughout this film that I guess I could see feel a little bit like The Matrix. But at the same time, this is a completely different film, a completely different world. And I think it's kind of a little lazy that some of these critics decided to so easily compare this to another big franchise uh, film that that he that he had done recently at that time. Exactly. I mean, the. the the comparison is close enough that you can say, Oh, well, it's just like speed. You know, he's a kind of a, a cop figure who is trying to stop uh-huh. a bad guy from, you know, making someone have a bad day or something, you know? And, and anytime that's, you know, critics take past works and compare it to, you know, a current one, especially one that that is on an entirely different genre or, or something along those lines. You're right. It is lazy. It's just like, well, I liked him in this. So, why isn't it like this? You know, it, it right. yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's a very bad job in my opinion, because again, it, it's so different from a futuristic techno Kung Fu movie versus demons and, and angels fighting. You know, it, it's, right. it's so different. So, so one last thing I will say is there is actually a surprising amount of humor in this film, despite it having that horror fantasy sort of classification. But here's the thing about that. The humor is a little on the dark side, and I would say it also is somewhat subtle. It is, and likely takes more than one viewing to really have it sink in. I was going through and looking at some of the, the kind of the quotes from the movie mm-hmm on imdb after after watching it and i'm going through and i'm looking at some of these and i'm like there's some actually some really funny stuff here (laughs) and i don't remember like laughing or or even smirking so much while i was watching the film probably because i was trying to take everything in but i think that it's underrated the the 
the humor that is in this film. And if you're, if you're not looking for it or you're not ready for it, I don't know if it necessarily hits at least at the first viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, I will say my absolute favorite funniest thing in this entire movie is when Constantine's being taken up to heaven and he flips off Lucifer. Yes. It's it's perfect. It's, it it, it sums up his character better than anything else in this entire movie does. You know, we, we talked about that back and forth between John Constantine and Satan and, and the, the exchange, one of the, one of their exchanges that I think is rather humorous is Constantine says where it is that your kid of your, that kid of yours is a chip off the old block. And Satan says, well, one does what one can Constantine. He's in the other room. Satan boys will be boys. Constantine with Gabriel <laughs> and Satan looked disgusted. <laughs> No accounting for taste, really. (laughs) It's just it. It was that sort of thing. That whole that whole ending with with the exchange between Lucifer and John Constantine was entirely like that. And then, Mm -hmm. as you said, he flips him off when he starts to ascend into heaven, and it's just it's just fabulous. Well, and the timing of the back and forth too is just bam, 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 bam. It's it's quick. It is. It's really good and. I mean, again, John Stormare perfectly plays him. And gosh, that banter is just so good. Um, You know, I will say, too, I am actually very surprised at how much I enjoyed Shia LaBeouf's performance in this movie. I'm not a big fan of his at all. And I mean, he's not in it a ton. But when he is in it, it works so well, (laughs) like insanely. So like when he's trying to get into Midnight's Bar. Yes. Oh, just stupid fun little things and stuff i mean it's just he plays this this you know really plucky go get him kind of kid who gets sidelined all the time and and i absolutely loved it it was perfect right all right let's talk about some tidbits some interesting things about the film that i was able to find which i think are really kind of interesting so typically i like to try and find when they're filming the film usually they give it some sort of fake name in order to kind of throw people off. Mm -hmm. I unfortunately was not able to find that for this film. So we're not going to be able to talk about that, but this film title was changed from Hellblazer, which is the name of the comic book that John Constantine is in to Constantine to avoid confusion with Clive Barker's Hellraiser films that were actually fairly recently released when this film came out, we also had a 2004 Hellboy movie mm-hmm. that had come out. And so there was concerns about that as well. And so it's interesting that they decided to then switch it from Hellblazer to Constantine. So there wouldn't be any confusion. And the other thing that's really interesting about it is the comic book series itself was actually going to be titled Hellraiser but was also retitled to avoid <laughs> confusion with the Hellraiser film, which was released a year before the de- debut of the Hellblazer comic. So you definitely don't want to cause confusion where people think something is something else or, mm-hmm. or too similar. But I, I just thought it was interesting that not only the movie, but the comic book ended up getting changed the name because because you know of this other ip that had gotten out there just a little bit quicker yeah i had no idea on that that's really cool 
<laughs> so Alan Moore, who is one of the original creators of John Constantine, was disappointed by previous adaptations of his comics from Hell and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and actually refused to be credited or associated with the movie Constantine at all and asked that his royalties be distributed among other creators of the character, which I thought was was actually kind of noble of Alan Moore to do. But at the same time, it's like, I, I guess if you're if you've created something and then you see other people trying to take it and do something different with it and you don't like what they're doing with it, you probably just sort of want to wipe your hands from anybody taking your your work and doing something with it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've seen different things uh, like, well, Batman alone, how many iterations of, of Batman have there been? And some of them not exactly too close to the comics, some of them really right. close to the comics. So I like, I can kind of see that, but that did just remind me that from hell is a comic book as well, which I totally forgot that that one was as well. Uh, yeah. Yep. Old Johnny Depp movie. If you haven't seen that one. <laughs> So the Spear of Destiny that we talked about, and in fact, the prop that was used as the Spear of Destiny in this film is actually the same one that is used in the 2004 film Hellboy that we that we just talked about that may have had an influence in the in the name change of this film. And that is cool. That is very yes. cool. Now we just need an Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny, and then we'll be good. There you go. Let, let's let's bring it all in here. <laughs> So during the course of the film, there's some numerology that's going on. John Constantine is actually seen smoking a lot throughout this film. And if you count the number of cigarettes that he ends up smoking on screen, he he smokes 13 cigarettes during the film, oh, wow. which is definitely regarded as an unlucky number. We also had lots of references to 666, which is usually the mark of the demon, as well as the divine number 333. The bowling alley where Beeman is is sets up shop in the back of has this really elaborate six 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 along the uh, along the sidewall that you see in a couple different shots, and then Angela's bag that she is carrying throughout this film, as well as Chaz's taxi number, have three 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 in them, and that's considered to be a divine number. So it was kind of almost pointing out the kind of the good versus evil just through numerology throughout this film as well. Yeah. It's those sort of subtle things that really kind of bring up, uh, uh, people are paying attention, especially on like third, fourth viewings and everything. It's like seeing all the little tiny details put in there. I love that. So I got two notes about, uh, the film here that I think we, we should end on originally. Tarsum Singh was attached to direct this film with Nicolas Cage to star in the film. However, the director said that, quote, with Cage, I cannot make the film I wanted to. So he soon after left the picture as as well as uh, Nicolas Cage did. So we didn't end up seeing whatever version of the film that would have been. We got this version instead. And I think you know, by and large, I think we got the better version potentially there. I, I'm agreeing with you on that. And, and look, nothing against Nick Cage. He is an actor who is unique and brings a lot of uh -huh. energy to the project he's in. I don't think it would have been the right, the right kind of energy for Constantine, who is, you know, very gruff, very matter of fact, very kind of chill the entire time. No way Nick Cage could have done that. Yeah, definitely agree. If this is a movie you really like, then I think 
some news that we saw at the end of last year probably piqued your interest in September 2022. Deadline Hollywood reported that Warner Brothers is going to develop a Constantine sequel with Keanu Reeves set to return in the lead role. So we might see a Constantine sequel here again sometime in the in the future. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah. In fact, um, there was a, uh, an episode of the late show, Stephen Colbert. Um, I don't know exactly when it was, but, uh, Stephen did ask Keanu Reeves what character he'd love to play again. And he did say John Constantine. And apparently the entire crowd, like who was in attendance went wild over it. So, you, you know, go. maybe the movie has gotten some, some of the, the credit it's deserved over this time. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, that was back in September as well. So apparently maybe him saying it has actually fueled the, the start of this again. That would be great. I, th- I think that that I, I think I would like to see another Constantine film with Keanu Reeves. Definitely. That would be good. All right. A couple quick references to the comics. Constantine's line in which he says he doesn't want Angela to be another ghost following him around is actually a reference to the comics where he's haunted by ghosts of friends who have died because of him. We have uh, Raven Scar Hospital, kind of where the ulti- the the final battle sort of takes place, is actually is named for the mental institution that is featured within the Hellblazer comic book series. John Constantine spends four years in and out of Raven Scar after he has a nervous breakdown due to a botched exorcism. And uh, as far as like, characters go, aside from John Constantine. We only had, we had just a couple of characters that ended up making the transition from the comic book into the movie. There is uh, a character by the name of Ellie, who is a demoness that is mostly cut from the film, but she has one line and has two different spots in the movie where she shows up. Papa Midnight, Chaz Kramer, and Gabriel. Those are all characters that are in the comic book that ended up in the movie. So the rest of the characters that you see in this film were made up specifically for the film. Gotcha. Now, one thing I need to ask before we kind of close out the, the movie conversation. Um, did you see the post credit scene? I did not. I did not realize there was a post credit scene, but there is a post credit yes. scene for this film. It, it, it's very, Tell us about it. very tiny, very small. So it's, you didn't really miss too much, but um, basically John goes to a graveyard. He sees Chaz's tombstone and sets his lighter on it and, I forget exactly what he said. Something along the lines of like, you know, good job or or something like that. I, you know, it it was some sort of praise coming from John Constantine, which is kind of a big deal. And and then you see Chaz in an angel form with, with, with like the wings and everything kind of standing behind the tombstone. Then he flies up into the sky. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it's a nice little closing the book on that. So who knows, you know, if the sequel is made, if, if he'll make a return uh, or if he's, gone to heaven if he's a half breed on earth like who knows what's going to go on so either way it, it opens the door and i'm excited for yes that. there you go normally we talk about comic books before we jump in and talk about a movie but because we just had the one week here that we could talk about the film we ended up doing that but i didn't want to leave you with a couple of comic book options if we've whetted your appetite for john constantine and you'd like to go back and read some comic books or a graphic novel uh, about the character. Here are three options for you to choose from. 
The first one would be Swamp Thing number 37. That is from June 1985. That was actually John Constantine's first appearance in the comics. We also have John Constantine Hellblazer, All His Engines. That is an original graphic novel that was released in January 2005, so about a month before this film. And it was actually written to help bring people up to speed about the character before the theatrical release. So it hits some of the same story beats. He goes and he tries to help somebody and and you kind of get a little bit of the the world of John Constantine before before jumping into the movie. So you have that. And then lastly, we have Hellblazer 41 to 46. This is part of the, the main Hellblazer comic book series. This is called this Dangerous Habits story arc. So John is fighting his terminal lung cancer and he's losing. So there's some tie-ins to the, 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 the movie in that regard. And there's also an appearance by Satan that is made during this, this story arc as well. So if you want to see some of that, this is, this is a good story arc. The entire Hellblazer series is like 70 or 80 books or something like this. So there's a lot, a lot for you to read uh, if, you, if you want to start all the way from the beginning. But here is one, one set of books in the middle there that definitely brings you some aspects that came from the film. All right. Very cool. I'm, I mean, after seeing and loving this movie, I definitely need to dive into the comics more. And uh, it, it's just, he's such a cool character. He's definitely, he's definitely a cool character. I, I wholeheartedly agree. All right. Looking ahead to next week, Dan is going to be back. So we will uh, be jumping into our normal schedule of comics, then movie. We had planned on looking into comics for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because there is a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book movie coming out in early August. August uh, 4th, I believe, is is the release date for that. Trouble is, we're having trouble locating the actual comics so because he wants to read some of the brand, like the, the original first set of comics for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they were self-published, and they're really hard to find digitally. And so we're really, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. We may end up picking up some different comics that appear later. I don't have specifics as to which books we're gonna read, so keep watch on social media. We will let you know what books we're going to read, but we, I do believe we're going to be looking at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles next. So if that movie that's coming out in early August piques your interest, definitely come back next week and we'll be talking about some comic books from, from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to get you ready for that movie. All right, that is going to wrap it up. Ben, thank you so much for joining us this week. This was This was a great suggestion. I had a lot of fun talking with you about it. Oh, I'm so glad because, I mean, when you asked and I'm like, it's going to be a weird one, Constantine, but we're going for yeah. it anyway. I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And again, I just, I really loved uh, the movie, but even more so, I love talking about it with you. So thank you very much for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? You actually do a couple other podcasts and I, I follow you on, on social media because we, we, uh, we have a lot of the same interests. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> that we do. Um, yeah. If you're looking for me on social media, um, basically look for Ben Bumhofer. I'm on uh, Blue Sky, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, those are pretty much kind of what are, where I do things. I don't post a ton, but, you know, follow me. It helps out. 
if you want to hear more from me, um, I do a, a few different shows, like Dwayne said. Um, there's a show called D&D Discussions, uh, where if you like Dungeons & Dragons, uh, my co-host Ryan and I, we talk about the game from like a player or a DM perspective. Um, I do another show called Box Fort, where my friend Deluder and I, we talk about anything. <laughs> Whether it's video <laughs> games, comics, movies. I mean, we're, we're just kind of all over the place. It's whatever, you know, we feel like that that day. Um, and then last but not least, I'm on a um, live play Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Plus Five to Hit, uh, where I am playing a uh, half-elven bard named Fallwin Foxgrove. And uh, we're going through Rime of the Frostmaiden right now. So uh, check that out if you're interested in Dungeons and Dragons. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Maybe you saw Constantine and want to tell us your thoughts on it. Please send it to us. You can send it to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com or you can reach out to us via twitter we are at comics overtime there ben thank you so much for the awesome movie suggestion i likely would not have gone back and watched this film without this reason and i'm glad i did i hope we can have you back on the show again sometime oh i would love it i i am happy to talk about all the stuff i love and geek out about anytime all right until next week everybody take care <laughs>